Hey, everybody, we're back. It's Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024. A new year, same podcast, same co-host. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Osh Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we still will in 2024. <laughs> we'll also read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Welcome back and Happy New Year, Jill. Happy New Year to you. And Mosh, we should note, I am back in New York, but you are still holding it down in Florida. Why return, Jill? I understand the weather. <laughs> it, 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 the weather it's still ain't that point. great up there. <laughs> it's a great point. Yeah, we're down here uh, for a few more days. We posted a clip on Instagram uh, walking outdoors and somebody's like, wait, you guys are dressed really lightly for New York. I'm like, no, no, no. We're in Florida. There's no waterfront walks to be done in New York right now without a coat. Jill, we were talking before the podcast about how long we're allowed to say Happy New Year. One of my favorite clips from Curb Your Enthusiasm is Larry David calling someone out for wishing him a Happy New Year in mid-January. And according to Larry, three days, you have three days, that's statute of limitations. So basically, everyone, get your Happy New Year's out today and tomorrow if you're following the Larry David School. Jill, where do you fall here? I think it's okay. You've got about a week. Okay. Um, and after that, it's a little bit too late. But I actually have a more pressing question, which is quite relevant to me at the moment, because I only sent out my holiday cards. I did a little holiday card with, you know, pictures of my family saying Happy New Year. And I only was able to send them to people whose address I had very readily available before I went on vacation. And then I realized mm -hmm. that there were a lot of people who I didn't get to send it to. And I'd like to send my holiday card out to them. But I feel like it's too late. Like it's embarrassing. January 2nd. I, I, the question mm. is, how late is too late to send a Happy New Year card? I feel like it's a good Instagram poll. You should ask your folks out there. Um, <laughs> of course, as we discussed this before the pod, one theory is just to take a photo and text your holiday card to all those people. And you could do the old, I sent this, it got sent back, so I'm sending you, <laughs> I'm sending you this instead. Which works if you don't admit it on a podcast, yes. but everyone in Jill's life, you will be getting a card. She she hasn't forgotten about you. My friends are going to be like, I listened to your podcast today. What, <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Message is clear. Um, Jill, we've been off for a week. We've been keeping track of the big stuff over on Instagram. Long story short, there was a relitigation of why the Civil War started in the Republican primary. Trump wished a bunch of people to rot in hell on Christmas Day. John Mayer was in a, a bar filled with cats on New Year's Eve on CNN. There was a lawsuit filed against AI by the New York Times. Another one filed against Reese's uh, for false advertising and a Pop-Tart Bowl in college football with an edible mascot. I think that summarizes the week, right? That is what we call a serious speed read. That's like speed read <laughs> 5.0. I love it. There we go, folks. That's what you missed last week. A bit of what you missed last week, but we have more in today's pod. All right. So let's get to some headlines here. Nearly 200 names linked to Jeffrey Epstein are expected to be made public this week. We're going to tell you what to expect. The latest in the Israel-Hamas war as Israel starts to pull troops from Gaza but warns that this war could last several more months. This is the humanitarian crisis continues to get worse in Gaza and Hamas rejects a ceasefire deal. In Japan, a deadly, powerful earthquake has rocked the area. Nearly 100,000 people have been ordered to evacuate. 
Meanwhile, China's leader is warning Taiwan that reunification is, quote, inevitable ahead of a crucial vote on the island. Here in the U.S., there are plenty of new laws on the books for 2024, everything from gender-neutral toy aisles to new gun laws and minimum wage increases. We'll tell you about them. And if you have any creative ideas for how to include Mickey Mouse in a new book or movie, some good news. The Disney copyright has actually elapsed, kind of. So you have to be careful as to which Mickey you use, we'll explain. And a rare southern white rhinoceros born on Christmas Eve at Zoo Atlanta. Plus, Moshe is back and has on this day in history. A celebrity became a governor today, really one of the first ones to make that move. We'll tell you about that in history, along with a little Beatles, a little Michael Jackson, and a birthday for a little rap ditty from the early 90s that uh, many Gen Xers and elder millennials will remember. All right, let's start with one of the most anticipated stories of the week. Hundreds of sealed court filings pertaining to the sex offender Jeffrey Epstein set to be made public this week. And several prominent names, including Britain's Prince Andrew and former President Bill Clinton, are expected to appear in the documents. A U.S. district judge ruled earlier this month that there was no legal justification for continuing to conceal the ex-president's name and more than 150 names of other, quote, John and Jane Doe's that are mentioned in the records. The judge ordered that unsealing to start as soon as today. A reminder, Epstein committed suicide in federal prison back in August of 2019. Or so they say, Jill, or so they say. I knew that was coming. I'm just uh, speaking on behalf of all the comments I get every time I post about it on Instagram. I'm not saying I know anything. Ghislaine Maxwell, she is currently in the third year of a 20-year prison sentence, but there's still a lot of interest in who had been visiting him working for him or interacting with him. The documents set to be made public stem from a 2015 civil lawsuit centered on allegations that Epstein's one-time girlfriend and business partner, Ghislaine Maxwell, facilitated the sexual abuse and trafficking of Virginia Jufre. Jufre also accusing Epstein and Maxwell of directing her to have sex with Prince Andrew and several other prominent men. Prince Andrew, the younger brother of King Charles, denied the allegations and claimed that he couldn't recall ever even meeting her. However, he later settled a lawsuit that she had filed against him for an undisclosed amount of money. Most of the prominent names that appear in the documents are already associated in some way with Epstein, some for allegations of wrongdoing and others for having worked for Epstein or just at some point having flown on his planes or visited his homes. So this has been the subject of a lot of interest. This came up a lot during the Maxwell trial, came up during the Epstein trial, given all the prominent people that Epstein used to hang out with. Among the names we expect to see multiple times in these documents that could go public uh, as soon as this morning, frankly, former President Bill Clinton, ABC News has learned that he is identified as Doe 36 in the documents. He's mentioned more than 50 times in the redacted filings, according to the court records. We should note, Jufre made no allegations of wrongdoing against former President Clinton. There is no indication of any illegal conduct by Clinton, but she did claim to meet him on Epstein's private Caribbean island. Now, personal flight logs kept by one of Epstein's pilots showed that Clinton and his entourage had flown extensively on Epstein's jet uh, for a number of years to places like Paris, Bangkok, Brunei in the early 2000s. But none of the available records included the former president flying to Epstein's island, despite her claims. 
Now, a number of the mentions of Clinton here have to do with uh, attempts to get him to be deposed. A lot of legalistic things here. Uh, not every mention is a legal act. Frankly, none of them could be a legal act. That's not expected here. That said, uh, it will give us a better sense of uh, Clinton and other prominent individuals and how they would have interacted with Epstein through the years. Now, a number of these records have been unsealed through the years. Uh, this goes back to a case that the Miami Herald newspaper filed back in 2018. So there have been now seven releases over time. This will be expected to be the eighth and final release of the final documents here. Uh, basically, these are documents that we already have seen, but they had blacked out names in them. We will now learn who those names are. So this will include uh, Epstein associates, alleged perpetrators, alleged co-conspirators, alleged victims, witnesses, former Epstein employees, and like you said, Jill, people who may have interacted may have been present at some point. Again, uh, many of them may not have been involved in any illegality at all. Now, back to the Clinton uh, story here for a second. Clinton has put out a statement saying that he broke off his relationship with Epstein back in 2005. This is before uh, Epstein was arrested for trafficking and other charges. So most of his interactions happened in the early 2000s. And notably here, uh, the judge did give the attorneys for all of the uh, people who will be named here a chance to argue to keep their records sealed. Uh, that includes Clinton's legal team. And after reviewing the excerpts here, they did not lodge any objections to the publication of these documents. Among the other names that have been talked about that we know that they interacted with Epstein at some point, and we may see them in these documents, current CIA director William Burns, left-wing professor and activist Noam Chomsky, a billionaire venture capitalist Reid Hoffman, Lauren Summers, who's a former Treasury Secretary, as well as the former president of Harvard, Woody Allen, Bill Gates, the former Norwegian prime minister and former Israeli prime minister Ehud Barak, as well as the former Barclays bank chairman, Just Staley. So a lot of bold-faced names there and the fact that we'll finally learn exactly whose names were what in these redacted documents. A lot of people uh, have an interest in this, Jill, and there's some betting markets. People are betting and trying to make money off of the names that might be in these documents. People will bet on anything, Moshe. <laughs> it's official. Oh, there's some real <laughs> dark betting markets, but uh, we were at dinner a couple nights ago and somebody's like, Moshe, have you been following the Epstein thing? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, who should I bet on? I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, I can put money on certain people's names to show up. Like, here are the odds. And they were showing me like all the various names in the betting markets. Like one name is like, should I put money on Elon Musk? And I'm like, dude, I don't know <laughs> if you should be betting on any of this, frankly, <laughs> but... It was very interesting to see, you know, the odds makers. And you see this in politics now. You see this, in, you know, obviously we know it's in sports, etc. But anyway, it will be very interesting to see uh, what comes of this. Uh, and we just want to give you a reality check here in today's podcast, today's newsletter. You could see some bold-faced names. There could be no illegality connected to them. And of course, we already know in many cases that some of these individuals interacted with Epstein but have not been accused of anything. But either way, we'll learn something new this week. And it should be noted that the reason that he is so connected to so many high level officials, particularly in government, is because he was very involved in philanthropy <laughs> and he was a huge donor to a lot of campaigns. It, it makes sense that he is connected to a lot of people and not necessarily in a way that's nefarious. Yeah. At the same time, though, you know, he had cameras in all of his homes. He kept these very detailed logs of everyone he interacted with. So, you know, certainly you can think that there's a blackmail element 
to what Epstein was up to. And, you know, you we've told you on this podcast about the interactions with Bill Gates through the years, the Microsoft founder, and how Melinda Gates, Bill's ex-wife at the time they were married, was like, what are you doing with this guy? And, and <laughs> right. Bill, of course, is saying, you know, I'm trying to get him to donate to my malaria causes, my various philanthropies, etc. And at some point broke it off. But you could see that, you know, what you see here from Epstein is he's building basically information on these people, uh, keeping these logs. And so, you know, it, th- there was a lot going on back there. And obviously, it's of high interest. It's one of the reasons why people don't believe that he committed suicide in jail, right? That, that you know, that he had stuff on all these individuals. That said, all we've heard so far, uh, as far as allegations, are limited to a small group. The main boldface name who's accused of anything, of course, is, uh, as you mentioned, Prince Andrew. And if we learned anything from the crown, it is that he was the queen's favorite child. Definitely, definitely past tense there. (laughs) Okay, now to the latest in the Middle East. Israel says it is withdrawing thousands of soldiers from Gaza ahead of a new phase in the war. But at the same time, they say they are preparing for fighting in the Gaza Strip to last throughout the year. The announcement shows signs of the country's gradual shift to a lower intensity phase. And it comes as the military cited a growing toll on the Israeli economy after nearly three months of wartime mobilization. More than 350,000 reservists have been called up. Israel's also been under a lot of pressure from the international community, particularly the United States, to start a more surgical targeting of Hamas and limiting civilian casualties. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is expected to return to Israel in the coming days for more talks about the war. Last week, President Biden pressed Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in what has been described as a tense conversation to take that more surgical approach to the war, using special forces to attack the leaders and infrastructure of Hamas. Israel now largely controls northern Gaza, which includes Gaza's largest city, and is now fighting Hamas and Islamic Jihad for control of southern Gaza, including the second largest city of Khan Yunus, where they believe Hamas leadership is hiding, along with the remaining 120 plus Israeli hostages. Israel's military operations in Gaza had already been slowing down and its air campaign had become more limited, although the Israelis are not announcing an end to anything yet as they have delayed talking about who would run Gaza after the war, despite U.S. pressure to figure out a plan. Netanyahu has made clear that Israel is looking to create a half a mile strip within Gaza on the Gaza side that basically runs the length of the border with Israel as a no man's land. Yeah, we'll see what comes of that. Um, Jill, they're still not discussing much of the way details when it comes to the post-war civilian planning, military planning, etc. The Israelis saying, again, this war will last several more months. Now, they have seen less Hamas rockets uh, being launched into Israel, though uh, Hamas did launch more than a dozen rockets at midnight on New Year's Eve, sending a whole bunch of Israelis in the south of the country scrambling uh, during the holiday a couple nights ago. And there are no promises from the Israeli intel so far that they'll be able to end rocket attacks altogether. Even with months into this war, Hamas continues to keep that capability and their ability to kind of build rockets on the fly within Gaza. Now to the humanitarian crisis, uh, it continues to worsen there in the Gaza Strip. The latest numbers from the UN say that half of the population of 2.2 million Palestinians in Gaza are at risk of starvation, and 90% tell the UN that they regularly go without food for a whole day. The head of the UN agency that aids Palestinians there said he recently saw desperately hungry Gazans stop the organization's aid trucks there on the border as they come across from Egypt 
raiding their food supplies, devouring them on the spot. They say much more in the way of aid is needed. The Israelis have opened up a second corridor. Uh, They blame the UN for not moving fast enough. They also blame Hamas for many of the shortages, noting there have been a number of incidents where Hamas fighters seize the aid as it heads into Gaza. The numbers here uh, continue to climb in Gaza, 22,000 dead, according to the health ministry in Gaza, which, by the way, is run by Hamas, doesn't distinguish between civilians and combatants. That said, uh, the overall number is not disputed. Uh, The Israelis say that a third of the dead are Hamas fighters. That still leaves uh, more than 10,000 civilians killed in the fighting so far. As we noted, more than 120 hostages remain in Gaza, now abducted for more than three months. Talks continue, but the two sides remain far apart for any sort of new truce. Uh, Hamas initially saying that they want the war to end completely before they talk again about any hostage for prisoner trade. The Israelis offered a week-long truce in exchange for uh, a new round of hostage releases. Hamas rejected that ceasefire deal. They then, uh, late last week, countered with a one-month truce offer, saying if you end the war for a month, we'll consider talking about releasing some hostages. So the two sides still pretty far apart here. The Qataris are involved, the Egyptians are involved, and the Americans are involved. Jill, we should also note that we learned last week that two American hostages being held in Gaza were killed by Hamas. Their bodies remain in the Gaza Strip. All right, let's zoom out now. One other area in that region we are keeping a close eye on is the Red Sea. That's where U.S. military helicopters over the weekend sank three boats filled with Houthi rebels from Yemen. That's after the U.S. came under fire in the Red Sea from those rebels this weekend. The U.S. military sinking three boats. One got away. They ended up killing 10 of the terrorists aboard. It was the first time since tensions broke out earlier this year that the U.S. has killed members of the Houthi terror group. They're backed by Iran and have been escalating their activity in the region over the last month, targeting commercial and merchant vessels in the Red Sea off the coast of Yemen there. The U.S. right now is leading a military coalition of countries to keep the Red Sea secure. More than 12% of global shipping traffic, literally more than one out of 10 ships around the world, passes through that key channel there in the Red Sea on its way out of or on the way into the Suez Canal. Many shippers have now been going around Africa, the Cape of Good Hope, Instead, though that takes an extra two to three weeks, is delaying goods and adding the cost for companies and consumers. So a lot of pressure here uh, to ensure the Red Sea is safe and clear here. Adding to issues, Iran decided over the weekend to send their own warship into the Red Sea. So that's something we're tracking as well. Uh, Iran, of course, funds and arms the Houthi rebels who control part of Yemen, but have decided to launch attacks on commercial shipping and send drones and rockets at U.S. and Israeli targets in solidarity with Palestinians over the course of last month. So in one month, they have hijacked and held a container ship and launched over 100 drone and ballistic missile attacks targeting 10 merchant vessels involving more than 35 different countries. This is according to the Pentagon. The Biden administration has been under a ton of pressure to do more to control the situation Given these huge economic ramifications, there have been more than 100 attacks by Iranian groups across the region. Jill, I was asked over the Mo News Premium account over the weekend, is Iran actually trying to start World War III here? And I'm like, no. Iran is seeing how far they can press the U.S. They have no interest in an all-out war knowing how that would end for them. But they're seeing what they can get away with here. Uh, It is interesting if you look back at the history of the Islamic regime of Iran, which took control in the early 80s um, through today, tensions have gotten even higher with the U.S. through the years. Reagan, President Reagan, sank a whole bunch of the Iranian Navy 
back in the late 80s. Of course, most recently, Trump assassinated uh, Soleimani, a top Iranian general, a couple of years ago. Uh, and so Biden is under pressure internally saying, you got to be more aggressive with the Iranians. You got to show them they can't get away with this sort of thing. But Biden and officials at the White House have been reluctant uh, to go further here. Though a lot of people are saying what the Houthis are doing has huge global economic ramifications. We have to show them who's boss, so to speak. And it might entail, you know, doing something uh, on a target closer to Iran to send them a message that this has to end because they're effectively in control of the Houthis here. And we have seen several dozen American soldiers injured in some of these attacks in Iraq and Syria. And so uh, we'll see what comes of it. Uh, But that is certainly one of the big stories we'll be watching this month. Speaking of Soleimani, you didn't mention this in your very quick recap of all the news that we missed over the past week. But there was a report a few days ago that Iran was actually taking credit for October 7th, saying that it was revenge for the killing of Soleimani. And then Hamas was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) We didn't even tell you about it. I mean, it was like this weird back and forth between these groups over trying to take credit for, for October 7th. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind that Iran funds and helps Hamas, funds and helps Hezbollah, funds and helps the Houthis. When it comes to October 7th, there have been reports that Iran knew what was going on, that Iran directed them to do it, that Iran had nothing to do with it, that Hamas, you know, was coordinated on it, that Hamas didn't even tell all of Hamas about it. Uh, Just Gaza Hamas knew about it. Either way, what happened, you know, over the holidays is Iran's like, yeah, that was our revenge. And Hamas is like, no, 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 we totally did it for our own purposes. You don't get to take credit for it. Needless to say, Jill has a bunch of us scratching our heads being like, okay, so who was involved in this? For what purpose? But, uh, you know, Iran, you know, one important thing to bring up here is Iran, you know, ended up shooting some rockets at a U.S. base in Iraq after Soleimani, but they were promising this level of vengeance that we never ended up seeing. So that might be sort of uh, CYA by some Iranian officials being like, no, no, we, we have avenged his death, whether it's true or not. And the truth is that something else could potentially happen down the line. Just because they didn't take revenge right away doesn't mean that they're not planning something. Sure. And we know, and we've talked about this on the podcast, that they were looking to assassinate various American officials. John Bolton, former National Security Advisor to Trump. Mike Pompeo, former CIA Director for Trump. There have been arrests and various indictments related to Iranian plots to assassinate U.S. leaders, uh, partially as revenge there. And we do know that in the Middle East, they do have very long memories. And, you know, sometimes it takes years before they achieve uh, so-called vengeance or revenge. All right, we have a lot more to get to in today's podcast. But first, let's thank our sponsor this week, Athletic Greens. If you've been listening for a while, you know we've been partnering with them for a very long time, going back to 2022, Jill, uh, and 2023. So we start a third year here with our friends at AG1. We both started drinking their AG1 supplement a while back. And as all of us make our New Year's resolutions, we're all looking for energy, uh, all looking to get our nutrition and our uh, vitamins in the new year. No better place to turn than AG1. It's just a small scoop in water in the morning. It's quick. It's easy. It lets you get on with your day knowing that you're getting more than 70 important vitamins that support health, support gut optimization, stress management, immune support, um, all the important things. I've heard from a bunch of you that you started taking it and are enjoying it uh, and feeling renewed energy from taking AG1. And what's great is AG1 is partnering with us here at Mo News with a special deal. When you try AG1 with the Mo News code, you get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. Head over to drinkag1.com slash monews. Again, that is drink 
ag1.com slash monews. Check it out and really take ownership of your health in 2024. Time now for the speed read from the Wall Street Journal. Let's start overseas. A powerful earthquake hit central Japan on New Year's Day, killing at least five people. Police and local authorities were pulling bodies out from the rubble of collapsed buildings early Tuesday. The 7.6 magnitude quake struck in the middle of the afternoon on Monday, destroying buildings, knocking out power to tens of thousands of homes and prompting residents in some coastal areas to flee to higher ground. It hit the Ishikawa prefecture on the west coast of Japan, causing a tsunami wave of at least four feet, as well as home collapses and a large fire. Footage from news helicopters showed a fire engulfing at least several blocks in the city of Wajima. The New Year's Day quake struck just after 4 p.m. as many people were visiting family for the holiday or making the traditional New Year's visit to a temple or a shrine. It was the strongest quake in the region in more than four decades, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. Obviously, given what took place in 2011, a lot of concern when that tsunami warning came out. And of course, uh, the powerful quake at 7.6, it was followed by many aftershocks in the region. Notably, the biggest wave, as you mentioned, Jill, reached just over a meter at about four feet there, though there are still risks of further tsunamis. So they are keeping everyone on high alert there, saying more strong quakes uh, still could take place in the coming days. In good news, all the nuclear power plants in the region are stable. That was a big issue in 2011, of course, with Fukushima. And so that's good news. Uh, Unfortunately, when you see some of the damage uh, and aftermath of the earthquake, there will certainly be a significant rebuilding effort taking place in the west coast of Japan in the coming months. From Politico, Chinese President Xi Jinping sounding a new warning to Taiwan in his New Year's message this weekend. He said the country's, quote, reunification with Taiwan was, quote, inevitable. He added that, quote, compatriots on both sides of the Taiwan Strait must share in the glory of national rejuvenation. His speech comes at a time of rising geopolitical tensions between China and the West, the U.S. and its allies, are concerned about China's assertiveness in disputed territories in the South China Sea and the rise in military activity around Taiwan. So the U.S. has been increasingly concerned about the Chinese activity here, and this rhetoric does not help from Xi Jinping. Uh, Though Taiwan split from China amid the civil war there back in 1949, Beijing to this day considers the self-ruled Taiwan, which has about 23 million people, to be sacred Chinese territory and has said uh, that it will use force if necessary to bring Taiwan back under China. When you look at the map of historic China, the last major piece that is still not part of China is Taiwan. And uh, with the rhetoric recently, with the military moves recently, there's a concern that then in the next couple of years, um, given the move we saw with Putin in Ukraine, that she has been watching that and could be learning lessons from that for an inevitable potential invasion of Taiwan. Now, the U.S. recently uh, gave another $300 million in military aid to Taiwan. There's several billion more uh, that's held up with Congress right now. That's part of that aid package that would also go to Ukraine, Israel, and the border we've been telling you about. The U.S. is legally obliged to provide the island with the weapons it needs to defend itself. Uh, The big question, of course, is if China was to invade, would U.S. troops get involved to defend Taiwan? We've remained pretty noncommittal as policy uh, going back a number of years there. Uh, Now, notably, Xi's comments come ahead of Taiwanese elections happening later this month. The current president there has been there uh, for eight years. She finishes her term 
this month. Uh, and she warned in her own New Year's address over the weekend for China not to interfere in their elections. She's part of the more independence-leaning Democratic Party in uh, Taiwan. They're hoping to keep the presidency. They're running against the main opposition party. That's called the Kuomintang. They've historically favored closer ties with China. China, of course, favors that party. Uh, the concern in Taiwan is that China's interfering in the election to get the Kuomintang elected. Either way, both candidates have been emphasizing peaceful relations with China, but you have been seeing this sort of move by Xi to say, it's time for Taiwan to be part of China. Again, very concerning to the Taiwanese, 20 plus million people, democracy. Uh, they don't want to live under that authoritarian regime. Many don't, or I should say most don't. Uh, despite the historical ties there. And that's something that we'll also be watching this year, Jill. From the New York Times, many state laws took effect on the first day of 2024, including new rules on gun safety, a ban on diversity programs and ghosting potential employers. Perhaps one of the most significant changes is one that bans programs that promote diversity, equity and inclusion at publicly funded colleges and universities in Texas. Conservatives have targeted these diversity initiatives known as DEI because they claim that the programs have used taxpayer money to stoke racial division and push a liberal agenda on campuses. DEI advocates believe that they're important in promoting minority student needs and inclusivity. Either way, diversity offices on all public campuses are now officially closed. In Texas, that is. Here are some other new and noteworthy state laws. Californians will be barred from carrying guns in most public places after an 11th hour ruling from a federal appeals court. Minnesota this week became the 20th state to give family members and law enforcement the ability to ask a court to take away guns in certain situations. 19 states and D.C. already have those red flag laws that authorize the temporary removal of firearms from people who are deemed dangerous. Next month, a red flag law will take effect in Michigan, which is also adding more expansive background checks and a safe gun storage law in homes where a child is present. Illinois is banning semi-automatic rifles and high-capacity magazines. Colorado is getting rid of ghost guns. Jill, notable here, to as you run through all those states, that's something that uh, gun safety advocates have been focused on recently as they feel they can't get much done through Congress federally. So they have been really focused on the 50-state capitals of changing laws state by state. To the workplace now, 22 states are raising their minimum wages at the start of 2024, according to the Economic Policy Institute. About 40 cities and counties will do the same. Many of the wage levels meeting or exceeding $15 per hour for summer all employees. That is according to the National Employment Law Project. In Alabama, employee hours above 40 in a week will no longer be included in gross income, effectively exempting overtime pay from state taxes. Jill, interestingly, as you mentioned, the minimum wage, that's another case where uh, the feds haven't raised the federal minimum wage in a very long time. It's actually $7.25 an hour, and many states have been doing their own thing. Uh, so you see that happening on multiple policy issues. On sticking with politics, in Wisconsin, the state Supreme Court said recently that their heavily gerrymandered legislative maps that favored Republicans are officially unconstitutional. They've ordered new maps for the state ahead of the 2024 election. Actually, I should say this year's election. I've been saying the 2024 election. We're now in 2024. In other laws changing here in California, employees, with few exceptions, cannot be punished now for using marijuana outside of work or if traces of THC show up in their blood or urine tests. They also cannot face any retaliation for discussing their wages, asking how much coworkers earn 
or encouraging colleagues to seek a raise. Sticking with employment law here, in Arkansas, unemployment claims will be denied to anyone who fails to respond to a job offer or show up for a scheduled job interview. It's what the state calls the Prohibiting Unemployment Claimants from Ghosting Employers Act of 2023. So they're responding here to a lot of companies. We've heard this from certain employers where they literally make the job offers to people. People accept the offers and they just don't show up to work. Or in some cases, it appears here, have an interview for a job. So interesting kind of pushback there happening in Arkansas. Ghosting, Moshe, it's not just for the dating apps. No, no. And by the way, real ramifications in the employment world, at least in Arkansas so far. Some notable laws when it comes to health care right now, at least 20 states with Republican-controlled legislatures have now passed bans or restrictions on gender transition care for young people. Changes will go into effect now uh, for this year in Louisiana and West Virginia. Notably, the Republican governor of Ohio over the weekend vetoed a ban on gender transition care, despite the fact that his fellow Republicans passed it in the legislature in Ohio. The governor there, Mike DeWine, said he visited with families visited hospitals, and after those meetings, says he doesn't believe the state has a right to dictate to families what to do with their children. Uh, That said, we should note his veto can be overridden and may be overridden by the supermajority of Republicans in the state legislature in Ohio. But that was something notable uh, related to this issue that took place over the weekend. And most, there's also some new laws regarding education. Illinois is prohibiting book bans in libraries after a year in which many materials had been removed from shelves across the country. So we can call that a book ban ban. A ban on books. (laughs) In California, the teaching of cursive writing from first to sixth grades will be mandatory and media literacy and Asian American history will be added to the curriculum for K through 12 students. Yay, media literacy. And in California, large retailers will be required to provide gender neutral sections of children's toys or child care products. All right, from Axios, the original versions of Mickey and Minnie Mouse entered the public domain on Monday, more than 95 years after being introduced by Walt Disney in the 1928 film Steamboat Willie. This means that those characters and stories can be remade on the page, stage or screen without permission. Beginning on New Year's Day, any creator has the legal right to use the characters in new works as long as it is the Steamboat Willie versions and not the near century of animated evolution. So, Moshe, I'm thinking maybe a Mickey Mouse, Mo News mug. Mo Mickey. Mo, yes. <laughs> I think we need to get Mickey involved. <laughs> yes, we keep adding to the merch shop. By the way, we have some knit caps we've added nicely um, over the holidays. Um, so we might look into Steamboat Willie. But we have to be very careful, Jill, because, first of all, first things first, the Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse, if you Google it, ain't the cutest Mickey Mouse. He's gotten cuter. Um, through the years. This is sort of the old school OG uh, Mickey. Disney, of course, is also famously litigious here. This copyright only covers that original Mickey before it goes through the Fantasia evolution, the more modern evolution. And keep in mind, copyright law is complicated here. The public domain version of Mickey doesn't include, as I say, the design changes made later works. And you also can't produce a work that falsely represents itself as a Disney production or piece of official merchandise. 
since Mickey is a registered Disney trademark. So, Jill, we'll be talking to our attorneys here about what we can do with the Steamboat Willie, Mickey, as I imagine others will. Uh, by the way, Mickey and Minnie, the OG Mickey and Minnie, were supposed to enter the public domain back in 04. Congress gave them a 20-year reprieve here. And this isn't the first kids character to have the copyright expire here. The copyright on the original Winnie the Pooh expired last year. That opened the floodgates to other interpretations of our favorite teddy bear. That included, by the way, Joe, last year there was apparently a horror film called Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey uh, with Winnie the Pooh. in a, a really scary situation. So uh, you know, keep in mind here, there might be some weird Mickey stuff coming to you this year. Again, OG, less cute, less round Mickey, but nonetheless, it's available to all of you. So go for it. <laughs> From USA Today, Zoo Atlanta welcomed the birth of its first southern white rhinoceros on Christmas Eve. Park officials said in a press release that the calf appears healthy and strong and is receiving appropriate maternal care from its mom. The southern white rhinoceros is classified as near-threatened with a little bit over 10,000 mature rhinos in existence. Park staff first detected the pregnancy of 22-year-old mother Kiazi back in the spring of 2023. Kiazi and 12-year-old father Mumbles met at the zoo in early 2022. Jill, is really robbing the cradle there with Mumbles. <laughs> Mumbles likes older women, and there is nothing <laughs> wrong with that, Mosh. <laughs> the zoo says that the calf and its mother will continue to bond before entering the rhino habitat. White rhino newborns can weigh between 100 and 150 pounds at birth making them one of, quote, the animal kingdom's largest terrestrial mammal babies. And here I'm complaining that my daughter is like hitting 13 pounds <laughs> and is much heavier than she was at birth after a few months. So white rhino pregnancies are one of the animal kingdom's longest. They average between 16 months to 18 months. So basically double a human gestation. This calf is the second rhino to be born at Zoo Atlanta. That follows the birth of an eastern black rhino born back in 2013. According to National Geographic, there are about 20,000 southern white rhinos in protected game reserves uh, and protected areas, especially in South Africa right now. Uh, but they have been poached for their horns. That remains a serious issue, which is why these births that take place in captivity are significant, are important. All right, now time for On This Day in History, our first of 2024. We're going to begin in 1960. A senator from Massachusetts by the name of John F. Kennedy launched his bid for the presidency. Um, Jill, something I learned over the weekend as I was studying the history of primaries, because we're going into uh, primary season now, until about the 1970s, primaries weren't the main way we elected presidents. Ultimately, it was the smoke-filled rooms of the party elders. But interestingly, they made John F. Kennedy run in a couple primaries in 1960 to prove to the party elders that people would vote for a Catholic. You know, it was seen at that point in American history, people were concerned that a Catholic president might report to the Pope before America. So they had John F. Kennedy, who was a young senator at that time, run in the Wisconsin primary, run in the West Virginia primary to prove to you know the folks at the convention uh, who would be doing the nominating that voters would actually vote him in. All right, staying in the 1960s and staying in politics, a actor, a well-known actor by the name of Ronald Reagan was sworn in as governor of California on this day in 1967. Just 14 years later, he would be president. And on this day in 1974, President Richard Nixon signed legislation 
restricting the speed limit in all states to 55 miles per hour. It came as the U.S. faced a major oil embargo from OPEC countries in the Middle East um, at that time. Eventually, the federal speed limit of 55 miles per hour was phased out, and then federal speed limits were totally abolished. And now, you know, you see speed limits varying all across the country, anywhere up to 75 miles per hour. I haven't seen them faster than that, though. That's really interesting because I had no idea that was the genesis of speed limits. I just thought that they were a safety thing. (laughs) No, no. chill, safety, schmifty. (laughs) It was about trying to force Americans to be more fuel efficient um, with their cars because gas had been so cheap and they had to force that. Interestingly, Jill, when we finally enforced the seatbelt laws in the 1980s, there was major pushback. Uh, my favorite news stories are from the early 80s where people are pushing back on seatbelt laws and they're pushing back on DUI laws, being like, I have a right to drink beer, <laughs> as many beers as I want to drive my car. And you look at it and you're like, oh my God, that was only 40 years ago. So it's fascinating to see how you know things evolve because now the vast majority of Americans wouldn't question you know, a seatbelt law or, you know, drinking and driving and get, you know, it was a different story. Cigarette smoking on airplanes. It was it was <laughs> right. the norm. Oh, cigarette smoking at bars. Right. Uh, you know, the concern from many were that nobody would go to bars anymore if you banned cigarettes. And that was just the early 2000s. All right, we end here with a bit of pop culture history on this day in music history. 1969, the Beatles convened in a studio to record their 12th and final album, Let It Be. Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. Turning 41 years old today. Michael Jackson's Billie Jean, released on this day in 1983. And turning 31 years old today, as promised, early 90s rap hit. This one, Snow's Informer. Informer. <laughs> that's, that's all anybody knows because he he does this like crazy fast rap. The lyrics are all over the place. I just remember the line, I licky boom boom down. <laughs> it was very catchy though. Whatever whatever he's saying, I, I it was catchy. Yeah, he just speaks really quick and then goes, informer. And that's like, oh, that's what the vast majority of us remember from it. Anyway, on this day in 93. Mosh, that is a wrap on today's podcast. And uh, great to be back with you and great to be back with everyone out there who is listening and, and perhaps back on your way to work for the first time in a week or so. I hope everyone had a nice holiday, a happy new year. Uh, and it's back to the grind, as they say. Yes, thanks for making us a part of how you get the news daily. Uh, we appreciate your feedback over on Instagram. We also have a voicemail line, which we promise to make more use of this year. 1-800-711-MOSH, M-O-S-H, 1-800-711-MOSH. Leave us a question, leave us a comment. We'll play you on a future podcast. We're still working on 1-800-711-JILL. We're thinking that might just be for Seinfeld jokes. <laughs> Something totally light and fun. <laughs> Jill, have you tried calling 1-800-71 Jill? I think somebody might have that line. We have to we have to confirm it's available. <laughs> I need to check it out. Anyway, thank you again. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It really will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. Bye everybody. See everyone tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Mo News podcast. <laughs>